0: last couple days, I was in Oklahoma. And it's the first time I've ever been to Oklahoma. So uh, it was a good experience. But it was good to be back in the South. As as some of you guys know, my family lived in Louisville for uh, a couple of, a few years. And I was there speaking at a conference, um, a leadership conference. So it was a good time. And those of you who knew and were praying, thank you very much for your prayers. And as I was driving here, I was thinking about how much I love having the opportunity to fellowship with you all, and to just live out the Christian life with you all. I mean, we may be small, relatively small, uh, but I truly am grateful, and I genuinely look forward to the times when we get to gather together. Let me begin the sermon by asking you a question. What do you want out of life? So you should actually be thinking of your answer. What do you want out of your life? What you spend your time doing um, oftentimes reveals what you build your life on, or what you want to build your life on. So, some of us probably spend an unusual amount of time on Facebook. You are your own public relations manager, concerned about how everyone else will view you, or how you want to be viewed. And in similar fashion, maybe some of you guys spend you know an unusual amount of time. Uh, In front of the mirror Making sure that everything is placed rightly Before you step out of your room And before you make your appearance Before uh, the world There you would be building your life Probably on the opinions of others Some of us might spend a lot of time Concerned about our stock portfolios If you have them Wondering if your stocks are gaining points And then in in recent uh, events Maybe how badly your losses have been And these things control you. So if the stock market is down one day, you know, you're just kind of grumpy the whole rest of the day. You're barking commands at everybody. And then when it's up the next day, you're just thrilled and this is like heaven on earth. As the market goes, so does your contentment. Some of us spend time concerned and even consumed with family issues. Maybe your disappointments with your family. Maybe their successes. Or maybe your own failures or your own successes. And oftentimes those things too are really tied together. Our failures or our successes may even determine the failures and successes of others because they're really relying on us. Or we in fact are relying on them. That would be building our life on the family you wished you always had. You're building your life on the person you wished you always could have been and whether you are 18 years old or 32 or 62 you know we all build our lives on something it's not like this issue never goes away maybe it's uh, the security in friends family finances your powers of physical ability your your mental faculties or maybe just your appearance so whether you're 25 or or on, you know, you're still gonna look in the mirror and wonder what is everyone else going to think about me. When you're thirty years old working in a company, you may be tempted to lie and gossip about your coworkers in order to get ahead and get the better job. And when you're 50, you still might want to fit in with others or 70, because maybe everyone else is talking about their good grandkids, they're good grandkids, and you maybe not so much. These are all the things that people build their lives around. And you probably can identify something of that there. These are the things that are important to us, right? What is worth living for and what is worth dying for to you? What ought we to build our lives upon? From this morning's passage, we get Jesus' answer. Okay, we get the divine, his answer. And he says that it is him who. Alone, It is Jesus alone that is worth living and dying for. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. This is the gospel written by Matthew. He was a disciple of Christ. And Matthew was written probably around 50s, 60s AD. So it's a very old book. And the other gospels were written generally around the same time too. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. This is Matthew 7, and here we're at the end of something that's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus and his disciples in a larger crowd, they go up onto a mountain, similar to Moses going up onto the mountain, and God, Jesus himself, gives his people his word. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So you can imagine the scene. Imagine we are all part of Jesus' disciples. We go up with him onto the mountain to receive his divine word. And he ends with this story of these two men. So the main point there, he's trying to get people to understand, look, you cannot just simply hear my words. You need to hear them and do them in a way that shows that you honor, love, and respect the speaker that is himself. Now, if you're visiting with us today and you aren't a believer, this should intrigue you. You should be wondering, you know, who in the world talks like that? Because we don't, we ourselves don't walk around, you know, saying, look, you need to obey my teaching. And if you do them, you live. But if you do not do them, you die. I mean, who goes around getting messages like that? At the very least, if you are not a Christian, this should be intriguing. I mean, we get, we get um, similar messages all the time. Messages that promise success and the messages that promise failure. So, a couple commercials that uh, I cannot stand um, have been bringing these messages. Okay, JCPenney, you know, is a commercial, it's a a going back to school commercial. And this is what happens you have this mom talking about all the clothes and stuff that she's going to buy for her children as they all go back to school. The kids are playing and having fun, this is the school scene. And then get this, while she says, I've been told this stuff can make or break your year. The commercial cuts from the kids playing all together to one kid eating all by himself in the cafeteria. This stuff can make or break your year. So what's the message? You want friends? You want success with your peers? You need JC Penny clothes. If you don't want to fail with your friends, then go shopping. <laughs> There's another one, JCPenney, back to school commercial. Thank you, JCPenney. The only thing, this is a little girl, 12 years old, maybe she's looking at the, you know, the school. The only thing that anyone cares about is that first day, right? Forget school, okay? Forget learning, education, benefiting society. Uh, every, the only thing everyone ever cares about is that first day, everyone will be styling their faves, which means favorites. <laughs> Oh, but she's so confident. She says, I'll be bringing it every day. What's your first day strategy? Nothing like J.C. JCPenney preying on parents and little kids' fear of man. Desire for friends. The desire to be cool. To get us to boost the profits of the company. Get friends. You want success? Get clothes. You don't want to fail, right? Because failure is no cool clothes. Bad first day. You know, it's true that these commercials um, and most other messages we receive, they don't speak of destruction exactly. But the fact that Jesus does, again, should intrigue us all the more. Because once you start talking about things eternal, right, the ante raises very quickly. Then this guy is either a lunatic, like a genuine nut, or maybe he's actually speaking with authority and possesses all authority in the world. Okay, back to the passage. There are two men, right? You have the wise man, you have the foolish man, And these two men have very different ends. While these men are in some ways similar, their lives go down to very different paths. One to life, and then the other to destruction. And get this, what determines their end is what they do with Jesus and his words. That's the determining factor. That sends you down this way to life, Or this way to destruction. And just as Jesus spoke to the crowds 2,000 years ago, so he speaks to us today. These words are to confront us here this morning, especially religious people. And he says, you may be religious, but you may not be saved. All right, let's talk about the similarities. Okay, you got these two men. Though they have different ends, if you're looking at the fork in the road or what they're doing, they're actually quite similar. Both men hear the words of Jesus. Both men hear the words of Jesus. Here he's speaking to his, his, his uh, disciples and the religious crowd. Right? And these people are probably much like you, much like myself. You know, we grow up hearing, hearing the word, right? And some of us might have attended church for all of our lives. I think, uh, as far as I can remember, Dad, you can testify. I think I, uh, from the very early age I was uh, hearing God's word hearing the sermons, and it's the same for these folks here. They were raised in it. They're used to hearing God's word. These were the religious people, so we can identify with them. So both, both don't only hear, but both are also doing, right? So if we're sort of a passive observer, and we are to watch these these two men, the wise man, and the foolish man, both men hear, both men also do. So they're constructing the houses of their lives. They're building their lives on something. So, if we were to tour these houses, you know, we would say, oh, yeah, it's appropriate that this man put a family room here and a kitchen here, and then there's multiple bedrooms. We would think that this guy's constructing a fine enough house. These people are us as well busy doing, attending church, singing songs, even giving money, maybe even clearing out every single Sunday for the rest of your life, making it a point to attend church. Just to be here. You're participating, you're serving in some sort of way. Both here, both are doing. So why the different ends? Why does the wise man have success and the other man go to sure destruction? Both hear the words of God, both build their lives. But when the storm comes, one house stands and then the other one is swept away. I mean, he's just Jesus is emphatic. Look there at the, at the verse again, chapter seven, verse twenty-seven. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. But it don't. It didn't only fall. That's not Jesus only comment. He says, "And great was the fall of it." So he's emphasizing there destruction. What distinguishes these two men? Both here. But both don't really hear. And I mean both don't hear in a way that reveals that the hearer loves and lives for and respects the speaker, right? Uh, you guys probably know what this means. Um, if you guys have ever had a boss or even a parent uh, who is like really grumpy, you know, you know what it's like to hear that person. But you know, are you really hearing in such a way that reflects that you genuinely honor this person? that you love this person. I mean, some some employers, some parents even, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, um, you know, it's like you live with a canine and, 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 then, and then this parent or this boss is constantly like growling and showing your canines and saying, you know, you, you ought to do this and you ought to do this and even when you do something good, you know, let's say you bring, the, you, you, you put together some sort of spreadsheet and you're doing well, it's like, oh, you did a good job. Next time, make sure the boundaries are better and your formatting is better. You know, it's like, every time you talk to this person, they're snarling and You know, they're showing their incisors and really you're kind of scared or ticked off. I bet you know what it's like to listen to that person, but maybe even hate them at the same time. Maybe even to fulfill their commands, but in your heart to really be rebelling with everything you have. Is that really a genuine hearing that shows that you love and honor and cherish the words of the one speaking? I think obviously not. The other difference, both do, but don't, both don't really do in such a way that reveals that they love and honor and respect the commander. Look at Jesus' teaching that comes right before the story. I mean, he is just determined to make this difference known. There are some who obey and some who do not. Those who do are saved and those who don't are destroyed. So, so look at uh, 7.13, turn there. And there's a reason why these stories are back to back to back. He's making the point, right? 7.13, entered by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate that is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So those two roads, two gates. You're either over here or you're going towards here. And then you look at the next one, verse 15. A tree and its fruit. And he basically says, look, you may claim to be religious. You may claim to follow God. But you will know a tree by its fruit. Verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And then he comes to this other passage in verse 21. Again, these are back to back to back. And he's clarifying for us who his people are. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So they're pleading his name. will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, so he's looking towards the end. In all these stories, actually, he's looking towards the end. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? So we claim the name. We, we, didn't we also do things for you and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it's ex- they're exposed even though they might claim the name of Jesus and do good things supposedly for him, these works actually come out to be works of lawlessness. So Jesus is teaching here. He clarifies that, look, you can do, but don't... But some people do without honoring and loving and cherishing the speaker, the commander. That's our problem. It's hearing and doing. And Israel had the same problem. So, so uh, you know, you have the... You have the twisted thinking of thinking that doing actually saves. So you're making an idol out of works as opposed to worshiping Jesus. And then there's a doing nonchalantly. It's like, you know, whatever, I'll just go ahead and do it. You're doing for the sake of doing. But God says repeatedly in his word, for example, in Joel 2 verse 13. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Now he doesn't mean emotion. He means your whole being, who you are. Give it to me. With fasting and weeping, with mourning and rend your hearts, not your garments or these outward displays of repentance. No, he says, give me your being. Hosea 6, six. for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than, you know, these ceremonial things, as Hosea says, burnt offerings. That's the jarring reality for us today. We hear and do, but we don't always hear and do in a way that shows that we honor God. In a way that acknowledges the fact that God, the divine, has spoken. Or a way that acknowledges the fact that God has spoken. There's a difference there. You turn, turn to your Bibles in uh, Isaiah 41. You know, here we should, be, we should be cherishing God's word. Cherishing it in a way that reveals that we love Him. And that we cling to Him. And in a way that shows that we revere His authority. That we recognize that God has spoken. Okay, so Isaiah 41. This is a a sarcastic and biting few chapters here. 41 to 44. And the emphasis here is all against false idols and why you shouldn't follow them. And here he just just lays out the futility of following idols. Worshipping things other than God. And in verse 7, you know, you have this picture. Imagine if me and Rick were, were building our idol. Okay, right there you see the irony and the satire. Uh, who, who builds a God? What kind of God needs us to be built? Uh, and then not only that, but, but it's like, I, I need to encourage him. You know, good job building your idol. So look there, the craftsman strengthens the goldsmith. So I'm the craftsman. Rick is the goldsmith. And he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes with the anvil. So I'm encouraging. Saying of the soldering, it is good. Good job. You're making your God. That's excellent. And then it's so sarcastic that he's, you know, he makes fun, God is making fun of these idols. And he says, they're so powerful and so mighty that, at the, the end of the verse says, they're so strong and mighty that they need to be bolted down on tables in case somebody accidentally bumps them you know, with their hip and they fall over and break. It says, and they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. Right? The idols don't do anything, and they especially do not speak. So how are you supposed to cherish the idols' words? And then look look at that here. God emphasizes, look over in 21. God emphasizes that it is him alone who speaks. And that these idols don't. He says, set forth your case. So this is like God bringing the idols to court. Set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. So tell us what was from before, and tell us what is to come. Let's see your power. Show us your proofs. Tell us, this is verse 23, tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified. And then here's the conclusion. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. They don't even speak. They do absolutely nothing. So what is there really to cherish? And then turn on to 44. You see here, this is the power of God. And his power is displayed in his speech. Verse 6, chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Right? This is speaking. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So here clearly God is is revealing himself through his word and his people are to cling to those words and recognize that the divine has actually revealed himself. And that's his power. And so when Jesus comes preaching the sermon on the mount and even talking about the wise man and the foolish man, we're supposed to be clinging to his word. Our hearts are actually just like Israel's. They confuse hearing with hearing in love and a hearing in submission. They confuse doing with a doing in love and a doing in submission. And then in fact we say, you know, I am a Christian because I I hear and I do. And we assume. But the reality is, according to Jesus, one may be religious but still not saved. Okay, there's an objection Remember, we are the observing party here as Jesus is telling the story. And we say, oh, but the guy, he is building his house, is he not? And he's actually hearing. So he wants to, to build his life on something. He is sincere as he goes about building. He genuinely thinks that what he is doing is the right thing to do. And it feels good. I talked to him the other day. He is so convinced that he is following God. Is that not honoring God? He says, it just makes sense to me, right, to who I am. It's just my personality to do what I'm doing. It's it's like sincerity is the ultimate moral virtue of the day that we prize and say, ah, yes, this is sincerity, and that means it's automatically good. I mean, do we really want to believe that? Genuinely, do we really want to believe that? and say that sincerity is the, the ultimate moral virtue. You guys, you guys read the news and read about that uh, baseball player, Chris Lane from Australia, who was studying here in America, somewhere in the South. I was talking with Pastor Rick about it the other day, and some boys just decided to shoot him in the back. In the back. Apparently, to it was a gang initiation. And I think two out of the three of them, or something like that, they, they show no remorse over what they did. Do you think that they sincerely wanted to do that No matter what their their motives were I think they they did Here's another one I think this took place in the uh, northwest This World War II veteran Who was shot in Okinawa and survived Two young teenagers Beat him to death With flashlights Do you think they sincerely wanted to beat him to death With flashlights Or at least to beat him I think they did They were sincere in their actions. Okay, and you guys might say, oh, that's murder. But haven't you guys ever stolen something? Or lied to someone? Or exaggerated the truth? Or even wanted to pursue sexual pleasure outside of marriage sincerely? I think we would say yes, right? So the sincerity cannot be considered the great moral virtue So in reality, if you can say, yes, I have done that, the processes that we use to choose which path to go on, so the morality of our lives, we are actually just like those boys who beat Shorty Belton to death because we determine for ourselves what is good and what is right based on our own sincerity. History has shown that we do this, we end up in no better situation than Adam and Eve, right? This was Adam and Eve's problem. Insincerity... They redrew God's boundaries and rebelled against God. But in reality, God has the authority alone to determine what is right and wrong. And we, his creation, ought to find him and his will in his word. This is why it doesn't work to to say that this man who built his house on the sand, you know, he ought to be saved. Because he isn't, at the end of the day, loving honoring and cherishing, respecting Jesus Christ, who is God. At the end of the day, he builds his life on the sand, meaning he doesn't build his life on the rock. And basically, one is choosing one thing over Jesus Christ. And he's not hearing or doing in a way that shows that he ultimately submits to Jesus Christ. The the authority ought to come through here. Look at uh, chapter 7. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Verses 28 and 29. One would figure that we would obey and really listen to and cherish the one who has ultimate authority. And that's the point. Even in 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. Right? They weren't ticked off. They weren't a, They weren't skeptical. They were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. One who possessed authority because, in fact, he was God come in the flesh. Not as their scribes who taught from the word and even distorted the word, but this is the word. And when he speaks, that ought to be considered as God's very words. Why would you choose to not build your life on the rock today? Why would you choose not to do that? Well, simply it's because of sin. We've come from Adam and Eve and like father, like son. So we bear some of the the issues with our forebears. And the punishment for this sin, God says, is hell, an eternal hell. So remember, Christ raises the ante as he speaks about eternal destruction. But in God's good grace, he sends Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus came to bring light to the dark place, to give his word, to give himself ultimately on the cross to bear our sins and bear the wrath that we deserve. And so now everyone who follows Jesus, who builds his house on Christ, they're saved, they're forgiven of their sin. And you see that, that's all grace and that's love. And that's God's mercy to us as sinners. And so he calls you now to repent and believe if you have not. So if you have not repented and believed and are following Jesus, now is the time to do so. As you see, great was the fall of it. This year, there's going to be, and I, say, and I speak about this year because I'm thinking of the school year, um, whether it be students or teachers, etc., parents of students. This year, so many things are going to compete for your attention. So many things, whether it be class homework, whether it be school success, New job success. Looking forward to graduation. Applications for school next year. Maybe your, your graduate degree. What career move to make next? There's so many things that are going to pull for your attention this year. And pray. I pray that we all would pray for one another. That God by his grace would help us fix our eyes on God and his word. Christ and his word. When I think of um, hearing Christ's word and clinging to God's word. I think of uh, Jonathan Edwards, 18th century theologian from America. This is what he wrote. Pay attention to what he wrote. And he, he, he would uh, have these devotions by riding off into the uh, forest on horseback. You know, he's experiencing God's creation, but ultimately he experiences God through his word. He says, I have sometimes had an affecting sense of the excellency of the word of God as the word of life. "...as the light of life, a sweet, excellent, life-giving word, accompanied with a thirsting after that word, that it might dwell richly in my heart." And this, He, he goes on to say, "...every word seemed to touch my heart. I felt a, a harmony between something in my heart and those sweet and powerful words. I seemed often to see so much light exhibited by every sentence." And such a refreshing, ravishing food communicated that I could not get along in reading, meaning that he couldn't go on. He was just so powerful. And, and sometimes he would be overwhelmed to tears, even for hours, as he, in his own words, would be swallowed up in Christ through his word. He goes on to say, I used to, oftentimes to dwell long on one sentence to see the wonders contained in it, and yet almost every sentence seemed to be full of wonders. Now, some of us might think, oh, okay, that's just Jonathan Edwards, you know, we don't live in that day. But actually, this is just a reflection of the psalmist, for example. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 19. And here we're going to look at verses 7 to 11. So Edwards is just a reflection of the psalmist. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Okay, so when you feel bad, depressed, sad, overwhelmed, where do you go to? He goes on. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Was that the word to you this morning? When you woke up this morning, was that the word of God to you this morning? Sweeter than a honeycomb? More are they to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. i got to admit that when I wake up in the morning, I think about my frosted mini waves more than the Word of God. And sometimes I'm even more determined to eat my breakfast before I go to the Word of God. Sometimes I'm even determined to roll over and check all the news reports. You know, what's going on in Syria? What's What's Obama's decision in relation to the chemical weapons? How is he going to respond? What's Russia saying? Hey, you know, I get really excited about sometimes following up all these things when here... When I am downtrodden, I I should go to the law of the Lord. When I don't know what to do, the testimony of the Lord is sure. When I need rejoicing and uplifting, the precepts of the Lord are right. They're more to be desired than gold, much fine gold. So I pray that the the word of God would be that to us, you know, from here on out, even though we may struggle with that. All right, here are some basic tips for communing with God. And we're going to finish off. Um, With these Basic tips for communing with God through the word. Number one, read the Bible. Number one, read the Bible. Um, Sometimes uh, you would have, uh, you know, the bread of life, little devotional things. Now those things can be useful. But why go to another man's description about God or his devotional about God when you can have your own devotional in God's word, right? You could go to 200 words written here or you can go to the word of God that actually brings life. Now those things, I know that they can be helpful. But why not go to the Word of God itself? So those of you who might be interested in reading blogs or listening to sermons, right? Those things are good and helpful, and I do the same. But you don't want to build your... You, you don't want to get your regular spiritual diet and your sustenance from the fumes of other people. Read the Word. Second, aim for consistency. Aim for consistency. And here I'm thinking of consistency over you know okay the bible is 66 books i'm going to read through the bible and that means i'm going to read through the bible in uh you know half a year and i'm going to read eight chapters a day that probably that might be helpful for some that probably is not going to be helpful for you if you're not used to reading the bible so i would encourage you to aim for consistency and maybe read a chapter a day or even a passage a day or even a paragraph a day if you're not used to reading the bible and then number three aim for retention so when you're reading the Bible, let's say if I meditate on Psalm 19, find a verse that the Spirit seems to be speaking to you through and bring it with you. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Okay, you know, sometimes I don't believe that, but man, I can pray that that, that God would help me believe that. Write it on a note card and stick it in your pocket. Maybe make that your screensaver for the day so that you can regularly be reminded of that. Aim for retention. I guarantee you by the end of the day... After you've seen that verse maybe 20 or so times and you've talked to other people about what you're reading, chances are you're going to remember it a lot more. And you would have meditated on it a lot more. So take the verse with you. And then number four, aim for growing in knowledge of and in knowing your God. Right? God has spoken and he wants to continue to speak to you uh, through his word. And then number five, this has to do with biblical content. Um, you know, take your bulletin. Uh, a, here you go. And if you like some of the songs, you may not like some of the songs. Um, but take some of the songs and find them on YouTube and just listen to them throughout the day. Uh, this is something that my parents enjoy doing. They like searching for songs on YouTube. They get free music. So, look, if you want to learn some of the songs that we sing, that may or may not be new to you, like the Power of the Cross, let's say, which we have already sung that before. You know, listen to it again and again. You just get biblical content going through your mind. Um, as you go throughout your day. That's a way to help you listen to the Word of God, and by the Spirit's power, do it in a way that shows that you love and respect the God who speaks. And really, this is, this is our mission, isn't it? You know, we are starting small, um, but this is our mission, to hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ to the community around us. And we want to hold out this gospel of Jesus Christ to those around us, who believe that salvation is by faith and works we say no look at the grace of God God has worked the ultimate work possible he crucified his own son and Jesus went to the cross out of the jo- for the joy set before it and God raised him from the dead that's the mightiest work that anyone can ever boast in and so we want to say look at this work boast in that work believe in that work and then we also want to tell people here in Hacienda Heights for those of you who don't know this Hacienda Heights has the largest Buddhist monastery in the western hemisphere which is incredible So this is a Buddhist training ground and they basically believe that salvation comes internally. Righteousness is from inside. But Christianity says, no, righteousness is absolutely not internal. It is external. That is why Jesus Christ came into the world to die for sinners and to give us the righteousness that we need to be saved. We say, look at that. You can have surety there. Because Christ, the divine, who is perfect, came into the world to die for sinners like ourselves. So we want to be holding out this gospel of truth, this gospel of grace to everyone here. So this year, as many things vie for your attention, I pray pray that uh, we all would hear and do in a way that shows that we truly cherish and love the Father, the one who is speaking. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you have in fact revealed yourself. And Lord, just as we sung, so we praise you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross. As we say that it is your blood that accomplishes everything we need to be in a right relationship with you, to be counted righteous before you. And so we say, just as we sung, here we are to worship. And those days when we are tempted not to worship, we pray, Lord, that you would convict us by the Spirit and give us forgiveness, just as you promised you would. Lord, we recognize that you have spoken in the Ten Commandments, especially as you give your law. But Lord, we know even so much more that those words, behind those words and behind your whole law is is that we are to love you, love Jesus Christ, and we are to love those around us, especially by holding out the gospel of truth before them. Father, there are so many things that will vie for our attention this year. But Lord, we pray that by your spirit's power, we would build our house on the rock that is Christ. Lord, we boast in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us do these things. In your name we pray. Amen.